Hi, I'm David Freudberg, and I'm on a mission. Since I was a high school intern in public radio back in NPR's first year on the air, I've devoted my working life to seeking out and disseminating knowledge that I hope will be enlightening and will benefit the lives of our listeners. But the grants we get, the generous support provided from foundations and some others, simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep this going. Please visit humanmedia.org, and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston. This special project, the Diet Climate Connection, is funded by the Henry P. Kendall Foundation, the Grantham Foundation for the Protection of the Environment, the Lintelac Foundation, and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. The Environmental Working Group analyzed some data, and they found that if everyone in the United States ate no meat or cheese, one day a week, it would be the same as not driving 91 billion miles or taking 7.6 million cars off the road. So that just shows us the kind of impact that we can have by making some of these changes. It's really powerful. The surprising environmental effects of changing what we eat. You're listening to The Diet Climate Connection, a special project from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Recent droughts, heat waves, wildfires, and flooding events bear an eerie resemblance to the scenario that climate scientists have warned us about for decades. Meteorologist Brad Rippey at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, August 2012. We've seen record-setting July heat stretching all the way from Denver, Colorado, eastward and northeastward into places like La Crosse, Wisconsin, and Rockford, Illinois. Previous records in some of those communities were set for July heat in 1921, some of the truly historically hot summers of, of way back in the distant past. Climate change experts have long predicted we'd pay a steep price for pumping so much heat-trapping gas into the Earth's atmosphere. And one place we may literally pay the price is here at the grocery store checkout counter where crop failures from extreme weather could eventually drive up the cost of our food. Are these peaches or nectarines? But the purchase price is just one aspect of how food intersects with global warming. Francis Moore LaPay wrote the 1971 bestseller Diet for a Small Planet. You know, we think of climate change and we think of smokestacks, right? We think of, we think of yeah, tailpipes with terrible gases coming out. But th that's because we do not see uh, all the resources going into the food that we eat. All of the fertilizers and pesticides and the mechanical dimensions of our very mechanized uh, food system and all the transportation to take food from here to there, and the heavily processed. I mean, all those elements we do not appreciate. Frances Morlepay has been on to the link between food and environment since her mid-20s, even before mainstream science formulated the framework we now call global climate change. So in trying to understand the current problems and some doable solutions, I recently visited Frances Lepay at her kitchen in suburban Boston. 
making eggplant parmesan tonight from my garden. I emerged to adulthood during a period in which so many young people were so earnest about wanting to really roll up our sleeves and be part of the solution. And I ended up as a community organizer in Philadelphia and working with some of the poorest people in our country. The tragedy and pain she witnessed caused Frances to step back. She resolved to find a clearer understanding of how the suffering around her had come to be in the first place. I think it was the most important decision of my life, next to having children, which I think is the most important decision one could make. But next to that was a decision to stop. David, I just stopped and I said, okay, I'm just going to ask questions until I can figure out some sort of way of understanding root causes. And so I was fortunate I could do that. I just said, okay, I'm leaving university. I'm going to audit some courses, but I'm just going to follow my nose. Frances LePay, who had moved to California, became seized by a relentless question. Why, on a planet rich with natural resources, do so many people here and abroad go without? I was very much influenced by the world I was in in Berkeley at that time, focused on food. So at the one hand, there was an emergent alternative food culture. and the other hand, there were the newspaper headlines and expert reports telling us that we'd reached the limits of the earth to feed us. Famine is inevitable. And there was a book entitled Famine 1975, Predicting Global Catastrophe. So I thought, ah, you know, why hunger? that that would begin to unlock the mysteries of economics and politics, and then I would have a direction. Frances remembers her endless hours in the library reading through studies about how food in the world is cultivated and distributed. She pulled out her father's slide rule to calculate ideas that would bubble up. The light bulb going on for me, the, the aha moment that sort of launched my adult life, was this idea that, that there's nothing natural about hunger. It's not somehow a contest between numbers of people hitting uh, the limits of what can be produced by the earth, that that frame is completely false. LaPay concluded that the industrial food system, which most of us partake of at meals, is immensely inefficient and wasteful, a structure that feeds many but that leaves many others deprived, and that threatens us all by depleting precious resources. Her findings were compellingly presented in Diet for a Small Planet, published when Frances Morlepay was 27. She introduced a startling fact. In the United States, it takes 16 pounds of grain and soy to produce one pound of beef. Uh, that's, and then when you get to the water calculation, we've seen numbers as high as two or even, I have a broad range, but I've seen estimates from two to like 10,000 gallons of water for every pound of beef. Uh, that's enough for me to bathe regularly, you know, for quite a while. Um, and that's that's not that's, so much feeding water to the livestock. That's irrigating the crops exactly, that feed the livestock. That, exactly. So there's just tremendous waste built into our food system. And then, of course, the outcome, creating an, a people such as we are today, whose food is really a health threat that... Uh, many of our top diseases are now um, food-related, uh, diabetes being one extreme example that doubled in 10 years.
In my travels to record this documentary project, I was struck by how many experts mentioned the perspective they had gained from the ideas Francis Moore LePay published decades ago. Since that time, a comprehensive understanding of climate change has emerged. It now motivates the work of her daughter, Anna LePay, also a gifted author. I met her in Brooklyn. There's a lot of conversation about what is the most ecological way of raising food and, and getting protein for the human population. Uh, a conversation largely started by your mom. That's right. So, so my most recent book, Diet for a Hot Planet, the title you know, is a direct uh, link to my mother's work, Diet for a Small Planet, in which 40 years ago she was making these arguments about how do we most efficiently and ecologically address the need for humans to, to eat protein. And what she was arguing in that book is that uh, it's possible to get the protein we need to thrive from plant-based sources. We don't need to eat meat. And in fact, we can thrive without eating meat. Since such a tiny proportion of Americans, about 2%, now work on farms, most people have only idyllic, mythical images of how our food system operates. The reality would shock many of us who contact our food not in the sunlit fields, but in the fluorescent-lit aisles of the grocery store. And the highest impact activity of agriculture today is the big business of livestock production. Increasingly around the planet, there's this expansion of the very American-style way of raising meat, which is uh, not the kind of traditional animal on the farm that's integrated holistically and ecologically with the cycles of the farm and producing manure that's then used for fertilizer and uh, and all, all those kinds of ways that animals were integrated in the farm, but instead raising animals in feedlots, raising animals in essentially factories. And as a result of this huge expansion of that way of raising animals for human consumption, what do those animals need that the animals of, of uh, the more ecological farm don't need? You need to grow crops to feed those animals. They're not getting it from the farm itself. And so a lot of the expansion of large-scale agriculture into rainforests, into these vital places that are, we need for climate health, it's coming to not to feed people, but to raise crops, cereal and soy, raise crops for uh, livestock in these factory farms. On average in the United States, um, if you have a cow being fed in a, um, a feedlot operation, only from feedlot, not grass, it takes about 30 to 32 pounds of corn and soybeans to make one pound of boneless beef. That's a USDA number. Jonathan Foley studies the current data in St. Paul, where he directs the University of Minnesota's Institute on the Environment. And growing crops in you know, the, some of the most fertile lands in the world and turning them into hamburgers is automatically really inefficient. It's just physics. Um, again, about a 30 to 1 ratio uh, of you know, basically grain to beef. We have other animals we can eat that are far more efficient than beef. and uh, Or we can mix the beef feed from crops with grass and mix the two together, which is what a lot of farmers do anyway. Or we could have entirely grass-fed operations, and we all know about this, you know, grass-fed beef being better for the environment and so on, and it probably is. Advocates of more sustainable farming practices point to the movement of grass-fed beef production, which provides animals with their natural food source and emits less global warming pollution than industrial operations. But this is the rare exception. An estimated 99% of U.S. beef cattle are fattened with corn and soybeans on industrial feedlots. 
to promote unnaturally rapid growth, they are also repeatedly dosed with antibiotics and hormones. Anna LaPay. In the U.S., we consume on average about 222 pounds of, of meat and dairy every year per person, which is um, more than three times what kind of the global average is. And within the U.S., of course, there are many people who are going hungry who aren't getting enough of any food. And then there are some who are demanding these very high levels of meat and dairy that is frankly... You know, on average in the U.S., we're consuming twice as much protein as our bodies can even use. You're listening to The Diet Climate Connection, a documentary project from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. At our website, you can obtain a free download of this program and other diet climate segments as they become available. You can also access our free printable booklet, The Climate-Friendly Food Guide, to help you make Earth-smart, practical choices. For all this, please visit humanmedia.org. The enormous consumer appetite for livestock products like burgers takes a substantial environmental toll. At Johns Hopkins University's Center for a Livable Future in Baltimore, Ronnie Neff analyzes the impact of our food system. There's three main greenhouse gases that have relevance when it comes to agriculture. As opposed to most of climate change discourse, we're talking about carbon dioxide. But in agriculture, we're also talking about methane and nitrous oxide. So it's not just and your carbon footprint in foods. It's other footprints you need to be concerned about. Yeah. So when you have a hamburger, perhaps the biggest impact comes from the methane, which comes out of the um, cow's belching, out of the front end of a cow. And some of it also comes out of the back end of the cow. It also comes off of the manure of the cow when that manure is stored um, wet in kind of cesspits where they keep it. So for every cow that you produce, you've got to feed it grains in, in an industrial system. And so um, they're fertilizing it with nitrogen-based fertilizers. And so that's the chief source of the nitrogen that is coming off of the burger. Methane and nitrogen are a red flag for climate scientists. As greenhouse gases, they are extraordinarily effective at trapping heat in our atmosphere associated with global warming, far more so even than carbon. And environmentalists are plenty worried about the carbon footprint of agriculture derived from the burning of fossil fuels. We have fossil fuels in the machinery to produce the grains and then to, to drive those grains and um, over to the place where the animals will eat it. We have machinery where the animals are raised. We have uh, heating, cooling, truck transportation, um, and all those pieces contribute, and processing as well. The processing is, is also dependent on fossil fuels and all that releases a lot of carbon dioxide. And so when you get a burger, that's why it has such a big carbon footprint, because it has all those pieces involved in it. And agriculture is not only a leading source of greenhouse gas emissions, it also is a sector particularly vulnerable to weather extremes associated with climate change. As Vice President Al Gore says, the nightly news has come to resemble a nature hike through the Book of Revelation. 
summer 2012. Farmers in Illinois, one of the top corn and soybean producing states in the country, are facing the worst drought conditions in decades. Part of the corn crop in southern Illinois is already beyond salvage, and the problem is spreading. In searching for ways to reduce the environmental consequences of our food system, a new movement is emerging that takes a page from the past. Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia, New York, 1944. The Meatless Tuesday is working out very satisfactorily in New York City, and other cities are adopting it. People of this country must realize that uh, we will have to be more prudent as we go along in the use of food. Mayor LaGuardia advocated cutting back somewhat on meat consumption to assure food for troops in World War II. Today, climate activists have shifted the weekly observance to Monday, a practice endorsed by celebrities like Oprah Winfrey and Paul McCartney, who wrote a song about it. Think of too much livestock Warming up the land Gotta think of answers The concept of Meatless Monday is that um, by taking one day a week and not eating meat, you're actually cutting back your meat consumption by 15% right there. And that means you're cutting back your saturated fat consumption, you're improving your own health, and at the same time you're having all these environmental benefits as well. Researcher Ronnie Neff at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. There has been a lot less discussion of meat than a lot of the other um, factors in terms of what we can do as individuals to influence climate change. And I think there's a lot of reasons why it hasn't been promoted as much. Um, and one of them is that for many people, what they eat, and particularly meat, may be seen by some people as, as very personal, and people would, it's easier to talk about a light bulb than to talk about diet. But we need to talk about diet, um, and we need to, to realize that, that if that's where we can make our impact, then that's what people need to know and understand. I grew up outside of Philadelphia and on a steady diet of cheesesteaks and chicken cheesesteaks and pork roll. As a teenager, Joe Bosson began to learn about the environmental implications of what we choose to eat, and he took a personal stand. I decided, started kind of peeling back the layers on what the food system, uh, what was involved in the food system, that I was just like, right, I actually don't want to advocate for that. And I really do believe that dollars are more powerful vote voting mechanisms than ballot boxes. With that, I personally made the decision, and I wouldn't want to make anyone else's decisions for them, but that for me to live in a world where I would want to participate in the world, and for me to feel the best person that I was, and I've always been a highly active person, um, I felt my energy spike. Like, just, I felt better than I ever had, even when I was eating what now I see as a poor vegetarian diet. Now living in Burlington, Vermont, Joe Bosson says he consumes a more balanced and more diverse plant-based diet. Today he works for Vermont Bean Crafters, which produces organic meatless foods. And reasons for paying attention to the diet we consume go beyond environmental concerns. We're really facing a public health disaster 
with obesity. Margo Wu-Tan is Director of Nutrition Policy at the Center for Science in the Public Interest in Washington. This is one of the only health problems ever to affect such a huge number of Americans. Two-thirds of people are either overweight or obese, which puts them at risk for heart attack, for stroke, for cancer, for diabetes, a number of very costly and disabling diseases. We have got to do more to address this problem than what we're doing now. And while many factors affect America's obesity, including an inactive lifestyle, reducing our consumption of animal products can help people to shed pounds. Physician and author Neil Barnard. When a person is following a totally plant-based diet, every bite that you eat has fiber in it. Whether it's vegetables or fruits or beans or whole grains, you're getting it the way nature intended, and the food fills you up as it should. The fiber holds water. It, it makes the food especially satisfying and filling. And so you push away from the table when you've had enough nutrition. But cheese or meat or eggs, they're not plants. So they don't have plant roughage. They don't have any fiber at all. So you get every last calorie that's in the cheese or in the meat goes into you, and people tend to overdo it with those foods. So their caloric intake tends to be more than it would be otherwise. Dr. Barnard, who founded the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in Washington, is unswerving in his recommendation that a vegetarian diet is the most healthful way to eat. He points out that meatless foods have no cholesterol and are naturally low in saturated fats. The American Cancer Society cites research linking a vegetarian diet with decreased risk of heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, and colon cancer. Only about 4% of Americans are strict vegetarians, but according to a recent Harris Interactive poll, fully a third of us are now eating meatlessly at many or most of our meals. People starting to make that shift often mention concerns about health, the environment, and humane treatment of animals. Ronnie Neff at Johns Hopkins University. So, for example, for people where they may feel like it, they're used to eating that meat and it's part of a meal and a meal's not a meal if it doesn't have meat, there are ways, things that you can do because, first of all, not all meat is the same and eating lower on the food chain is better than eating higher on the food chain, eating chicken versus beef, for example. Chicken is a lot lower in terms of greenhouse gas emissions than beef. Now, chicken production in terms of conventional chicken production has other environmental harms, but at least in terms of the climate, you're doing a lot less damage by eating chicken than beef. Um, but then you can also think about um, portion size and could that meat become the side dish rather than the main dish? Or could it be cut up in little pieces and, and integrated into a stir fry with a lot of vegetables versus having a big piece of meat in the middle of your plate? So I think that there are a lot of things that we can do even for those who are accustomed to eating meat. Ronnie Neff explains one of the easiest ways to cut our food footprint is simply to waste less food. This means planning meals before we go food shopping to avoid buying items we don't really need. Another solution is to use smaller plates so we don't pile on more food than we really want and pay attention to shelf life. Carrots, for example, are delicious, healthy, and remain fresh for a long time. A rule of thumb is that vegetables and fruits 
produce far fewer global warming emissions than meat, especially red meat and dairy. And when organically grown, produce has a much smaller global warming footprint. To discover the healthiest veggies and fruits, I took a stroll through a Safeway supermarket in Northwest Washington, D.C. with physician Neil Barnard. We are right at the entrance to the produce section. The first place to start when you go into the grocery store is all those colors that are leaping out at your eye. Let yourself be attracted to the green leafy vegetables. That's chlorophyll. That could be kale, collards, or in this case, broccoli. All of the green leafy vegetables are loaded with calcium and also with iron. Now, broccoli doesn't want to brag, but about a third of its calories come from nothing but protein. Who would have thought it? Well, it makes sense because if you think of how does a bull get to be the size he is with that rippling muscles, because he's eating all day long green leafy vegetables. That's grass, but all the green leafy vegetables are loaded with protein and also with calcium as, as well as iron. So does green tend to mean rich in protein in, in the grocery section? Um, if you compare the amount of protein for the amount of calories, they're very, very high. Now, there's not a lot of calories in there, so it's also a great food for slimming. But if you ate a fair amount of green leafy vegetables, your body would be getting protein all the time. Here's a, a package uh, called a broccoli stir-fry. So it's a pre-packaged, pre-cut-up collection of broccoli, carrots, I'm not sure, and snow peas. And there's another one next to it that has some cauliflower in it. Those kinds of combos pre-cut could be a time saver. A huge time saver. And the stores have realized this, that people want health, but they also want to save some time. Okay, well, we are just about to walk down aisle two, which has some jewels in it, I have to say. They're halfway down on the right. If people knew what these are hiding, they would all rush in here and cram them into their car trunk. Here they are. It's my friend, the pinto beans. And if you look at the green split peas, lentils, black beans, these cost pennies. If you added up, what does it take to make enough food to feed a family of four for a week? It's, these, these are the, easily the most economical foods there are. But they are loaded with protein, calcium, iron, soluble fiber, insoluble fiber, even a trace of omega-3. The beans are treasures. Now, we are looking at these beans in the form of dry beans. Here's a, a four-pound bag of pinto beans, and it costs about $5.29. Um, and you could feed an army with just this bag, really. Now, if you're feeling a little bit time urgent, you just walk a little bit further down, and they've got them in cans for you. Pre-cooked. Pre-cooked, perfectly fine, ready to just open up, heat, and serve. Um, and they're delicious as well. Is there any particular disadvantage to buying them pre-cooked in cans? Um, the only thing is that very often the manufacturers add a fair amount of sodium to them. So you can dig around and see if you find the low-sodium uh, versions, or you can open it up and drain them, rinse them off a little bit. That eliminates a lot of the sodium. Other than that, perfectly fine. You can do a lot with them. So the, the legume group is very, very versatile. And of the legumes, which packs the greatest punch as to protein content? Uh, the soybean is probably the protein champion. Uh, it's very high in protein, as frankly all of them are, but the amino acid building blocks of protein in the soybeans are especially complete. Uh, to, but having said that, frankly, all of the beans are very, very high in protein. 
You're, you're not going to go wrong with beans. Dr. Neil Barnard knows his beans. He's president of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. We met at a Safeway store in Washington, D.C. What choice you make in any particular meal seems so small, and it's hard to believe sometimes that you can make an impact on a problem as big as climate change by one choice. Johns Hopkins University researcher Ronnie Neff. But the fact is that um, each of those choices that we make really do add up, and they really add up to something, and that's important. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Special thanks to Tony Buck, Art Cohen, Lisa Mullins, Courtney Flatt, Mike Jansen, and Bill Muma. Some musical selections by Gunnar Debosi. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Presented in cooperation with Connie Goldman Productions. The program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. And remember, our climate-friendly food guide booklet can be downloaded free at humanmedia.org. This segment, Part 3 of the Diet Climate Connection, is Humankind Program number 184. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.